Hi, I'm Ross Porter, and welcome to Stranded, CDs for a Desert Island. Hands down, my favorite CD of all time would have to be Live at the Village Vanguard by Bill Evans. Well, for sure, Giant Steps by John Coltrane. Joni Mitchell. One would have to be the essential Billy Holiday. Kind of Blue, Sticky Fingers, Beatles, The Who, Todd Rundgren, Keith Jarrett, Oscar Peters, Dave Brubeck, Songs in the Key of Life. If you were marooned on a remote island with no prospect of returning home, which CDs would you have with you to help pass the time? In November of 1999, I had the opportunity to meet in New York City with legendary songwriters, musicians, and self-acclaimed jazz fanatics Donald Fagan and Walter Becker better known as Steely Dan, to ask them which music they would choose for their extended stay on a desert island. This conversation took place in their publicist's office in Times Square. Here's that conversation. Hi, guys. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Now, of the, of the two of you, who's the biggest jazz fan? I think we're about equal as far as jazz fandom goes. I'd say imagine. so. That's probably right. We were both jazz fans when we were little kids. Like, you know, 10, 11 years old. Do you remember the the first album that you bought, the first record? Gee, uh, I remember, you know, my parents uh, 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 brought home a record. Uh, uh, my, my father actually worked for a company called, he was an, an accountant for Guild Films, and they had a, a publishing company that, and uh, Spike Jones was, was, was one of the uh, clients. And so one of the first records I ever heard, I'm afraid to say, was Cocktails for Two, backed with Chloe. It was a 45. And Walter? Um, I seem to remember having uh, records when I was a kid uh, that uh, were bought for me, but I'm not exactly sure what the first record that I went out and bought would have been. Um, probably, uh, it was probably like a, a rock and roll 45 of some sort, you know? I think I think I as far as remember. buying a record, I, it was maybe Sweet Little Sixteen, Chuck uh-huh. Berry. That was when I was, you know, before I discovered jazz, actually. And what made that happen? How did you How did you discover it? Uh, I had older cousins who uh, were jazz fans. It was kind of a a, uh, uh, a craze, like in the late '50s and early '60s, uh, in colleges, and and uh, that's when the the sort of golden years of the Newport Jazz Festival and uh, camping out on the beach and all that. And uh, they they listened to jazz, and they um, I, I I found out from them about some of the late night jazz shows uh, that were broadcast out of New York, uh, like Symphony Sid and uh, Mort Figa, and I could pick those up where I lived in New Jersey. I, I seem to remember that uh, my uh, first uh, listen to jazz was, had to do with, um, my father bought a, uh, like a, what they called a hi-fi back around 1959, and it was, you know, a big giant wooden cabinet with a little uh, record player in it and a speaker and and he he had like three or four records there was this whole collection and one of them was a Dave Brubeck record it was Dave Brubeck live in uh, Denmark or something and and uh, Dave Brubeck had a great uh, saxophone player named Paul Desmond in his band and this record was just all Paul Desmond soloing you know and uh, I listened to that thing over and over. I knew every note of every solo on that record, you know. I used to walk up and down the streets in uh, Queens whistling the solos. And and uh, so uh, after a while I got some, I got a radio for Christmas and started listening to the jazz. When we moved to, back to New York City from the suburbs, there was jazz radio that you could get. And, and that's when I started listening. 
And your first Desert Island pick. What do you want to play? Let's see. Well, why don't we start with this uh, uh, Jack the Bear, famous uh, Duke Ellington uh, Orchestra, circa 1940, with uh, uh, Ben Webster and uh, Jimmy Blanton and uh, the trumpet player Cootie Williams. Yeah, Cootie Williams, Harry Carney, Johnny Hodges, uh, Jack the Bear. And this comes from an album called In the Mellow Toned. That's right. All right, here's Duke Ellington and his orchestra. the uh, Desert Island picks of uh, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, otherwise known as Steely Dan, and that was Jack the Bear by Duke Ellington and his orchestra. Now, if people have difficulty in, in finding this on an album called In a Mellow Tone, it's been reissued a few times, hasn't it? It's been reissued uh, in a, uh, on RCA uh, in a set called uh, The Blanton Webster Band, which uh, named after uh, Ben Webster and uh, Jimmy Blanton, who were the two of the featured soloists in that band at that time, and, and who were both only in the band for a couple of years. And uh, and it's also um, available on that uh, a, a box set as a complete Duke Ellington and RCA Victor box set that has uh, 24 CDs in it. Have you ever thought that, that there's some parallels in terms of, of the way that Ellington approached music and the, and the way that you guys did or and, and still do? Um, now let me finish the thought for, okay. a, for a moment because Ellington, for Ellington, it was like an oral painting. He mm-hmm. would he would write with soloists in mind, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. he would get those soloists to come in and, and you know and be sitting right. with the the band. Right. And I often think of, of what you guys do as as something similar. Am I out on the uh, my kooky here? <clears throat> no, I, I think you know it's it's not that accidental. I think we were we were influenced by Ellington and the way that he wrote for uh, specific members of of his band. Um, I wouldn't presume to uh, you know put ourselves on a, on a level with Ellington, but um, I think it's true that we. Um, but you would write for the studio musicians that you wanted to play on certain. Yeah, songs. that's right. That's true. We had we didn't have uh, quite the. Uh, as consistent a cast of players as uh, as Duke Ellington did, but one of the things that I always thought was great about the way Duke Ellington wrote for his uh, band was that he had certain soloists in the band who he had chosen because they were stylists and uh, they had a great tone or a great stylistic thing that they could do, um, but they weren't always the most versatile uh, possible players that you could have in a band like that, and uh, as a result he um, when he wrote a composition, if he wanted to have a trumpet solo, uh, he would try and move the solo into a key or into a register or in a or in a over a vamping over a chord set of chord changes that were the the best possible thing for his trumpet player of that time, and likewise the other soloists. The pieces were really adapted to the uh, to enhance to uh, showcase the strengths and uh, and uh, get around the limitations of his soloists and as a result of doing that he came up with a uh, style of music that had a lot of uh, modulations in it a lot of ch- changing colors and moving from section to section and so on so he turned what could have been uh, weaknesses into a great compositional strength for himself and and also the timbre of the ensemble 
passages benefited from from the eccentricities of the players, the eccentric tones and you know yeah, weird right. kind of jungly sound that that a lot of the players had. You know, the uh, Harry Carney, I think, came into the Duke Ellington Orchestra when he was in his early twenties, and he was he spent his entire career as a member of the Duke Ellington Orchestra and. It's hard to imagine the sound of the Duke Ellington Orchestra without Harry Carney there at the, as the uh, bottom of the big fat uh, uh, chords, you know. So what do you want to play next? What's your next? Uh, Why next don't we take a look at? Uh, uh, there was an album that came out in the early '60s, uh, "Blues in the Abstract Truth" by Oliver Nelson, and that was followed by more "Blues in the Abstract Truth." And the cutoff there, uh, uh, you might play, is uh, "Blues Almighty." And anything people should listen to in this? Well, uh, I think what's interesting uh, about uh, this record was that it was a group of uh, pretty young players, uh, except for Ben Webster, who uh, who was uh, in, in, a, in a strange way at the height of his uh, powers of, of the latter half of his life. So it's an interesting uh, contrast. Nelson in a, a track from his album More Blues in the Abstract Truth and the name of that selection was Blues Almighty. You guys have had some pretty heavy guys play on your albums over the uh, over the years. That's that's true. Uh, we've you know. I think Victor Feldman played. Victor Feldman, Ray Brown, uh, Wayne, Wayne Shorter, Shorter uh, Phil Jer Woods, Jerome Richardson. Uh, now to point guys. Melot. At any point in this where when, when for instance when Wayne Shorter was coming into the mm -hmm. studio. Were you intimidated? Is this yes. <laughs> sure. We, we were surprised that he even took the gig. If you, mean, you know, we we uh, you know uh, asked what, if he just because he turned it down the first four or five well, times. Well, yeah, that might have had something to do with it. <laughs> but you know, finally he he agreed to do it, and and uh, I think um, he had a good time. Uh, we had a we had a, an interesting thing for him to play. Um, he after after uh, going through it a couple times, he, he decided I remember to write out some scales for himself because maybe it was a little bit more complex than he had anticipated. But uh, you know uh, he played great, and um, I think you know the the solo he did on the uh, Asia album became sort of notorious in a way. Uh, they played on the title track, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Would you mind if I played that now? Go ahead. Good idea. Okay, here's Steely Dan in Asia, featuring Wayne Shorter on sax.
as Kenny Dorham in Sao Paulo. And that was one of the uh, Desert Island picks of uh, Steely Dan, Walter Becker, and Donald Fagan. Why that one? Well, uh, this was a cut that uh, got a lot of play uh, in the early 60s when uh, it came out and uh, was sort of uh, a typical uh, Blue Note uh, record from that period. A great rhythm section, great Kenny Durham composition. Kenny Durham, aside from being a wonderful trumpet player was a great composer and uh, as one of the Blue Note artists he sort of got to record with this little stable they had a, was a revolving uh, rhythm section that was available uh, at that time and I believe this one was Tony Williams and uh, Herbie, Herbie Hancock. Hancock, Ron Carter maybe or maybe we're not sure we don't have it right here in front of us but Joe Henderson and Kenny on trumpet and uh, just a great uh, classic track from that period. Wonderful sounding records too, uh, Rudy Van Gelder recording. Are people surprised? I mean, considering Steely Dan, rock band, mm -hmm. but that you guys are, are enormous jazz heads. Well, our, our fans, I think, uh, know that uh, you know, our, we're influenced by the jazz we heard when we were kids and uh, a lot of them are jazz fans uh, and if they weren't jazz fans before they heard Steely Dan, a lot of them have told us they, they became jazz fans, so that's sort of nice uh, to hear. Uh, you know, as far as uh, other, you know, people, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't think a lot, a lot of rock fans and pop music fans, they, they really don't care about jazz that much, so it's uh, really not of that much interest to them, which is too bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, for one, I'm sure Donald feels the same way. I've never been able to understand why more people, why everybody doesn't think, you know, understand what great music this is and get the same. And in Europe, there's kick you know, out of listening to there's it. There's a sizable audience for jazz, but in America, it just never really caught on. <laughs> At least since 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 you couldn't dance to it. Although I remember once, you know, Dizzy Gillespie saying that he used to like, he could, you know. He could, you know, shake his tail feather to bebop all night long, but, uh... Mm -hmm. Well, that's... <laughs> that's he, dizzy. He was, he was dizzy. You're listening to Stranded, and my guests are Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. What's next? What's your next pick? Dizzy Gillespie, um... Dizzy Gillespie had a great band in the late 40s. Uh, it evolved out of Billy Eckstein's big band, um... And there were a lot of bop boppers in that band uh, including Charlie Parker at one point, Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and um, I think that uh, he got these players together specifically to play bebop which is very new in 1948 and uh, there's a tune on there, a, a ballad called I Waited For You and um, that's the, the tune uh, we've chosen today. Classic Dizzy Gillespie, and I waited for you. It's just occurred to me, sitting across from the two of you, that mm -hmm. not once, how many CDs have there been now? How many albums has Steely Dan put out? Seven or eight, or six yeah, or seven? Something like that. Not one of them has there been a photo of you guys on the cover. Damn it, we forgot <laughs> it again. Now, I mean, is that we're just, intentional? We're just not show offs. 
but also it's given you anonymity. We just don't want to feel that you know people are love our music just because we're you know a couple of dynamic, uh, good-looking six-foot-four guys. You know, you can't tell that on the radio, but believe me, it is it is true. We're hot. What do you guys do at home? Like, are you, are you online? Do you watch movies? Yeah, Walter likes to go online. Stuff like that. Can we go into a chat rooms? Uh, no, I haven't. I've uh, managed to avoid that. I was thinking about how much time, and I'm conscious of this because mm -hmm. I'm a, a father, mm -hmm. how much time my kids spend on the uh, mm -hmm. on, on the computer. Right. And I worry about the, the, the them losing the, the social graces or certain social graces that... That go, there's nothing better than human interaction, like one-on-one. -on -one. You guys might disagree. Well, uh, I, you know, I've certainly, uh, I have a son that uh, is very interested in computers, and I think it's definitely something that you think about, you know. Uh, but I like to remind myself, you know, that um, thank, to be grateful that I didn't have the overview of my own life. Um, when I was 13 or 14, you know, if I had been watching what was going on, you know, or what I was doing in my room or how developed my social graces were, I'm sure I would have been extremely uh, concerned, you know. If one extrapolates from what you see at some moment in a kid's life, you have to assume that kids are going to um, develop all of their faculties and so on, you know, but not necessarily in an even linear way, you know. At some point, they uh, there's points when they're sort of uh, socially... Uh, not connected and so on and, and and there's other kinds of growth are going on i'm still working on my social graces you know I, yeah really you know i think if anyone has proved sort of a late bloomer if anyone has proved that you know the social graces are just not that important for a career in the music business it would have to be me and donald donald and myself and when you say that i mean you say it mm -hmm. jokingly yeah half jokingly yeah well well i think it's true I think it's true, you know, I, and I, I think it's true of a lot of artistic people or writers or, you know, a lot of people end up doing the jobs they do for that very reason, that they essentially are not that good at dealing with other people or, you know, they're not able to um, uh, uh, get what they want out of social, you know, exchanges without, uh, you know, in and of themselves. They try, they're trying to uh, create a, a more interesting persona for themselves by virtue of what they do, their, their work. What's your next Desert Island pick? Um, well, how about um, something like a Charlie Parker cut? Uh, yeah. How about like um, Clacto Vidsedstein by Charlie Parker uh, with uh, Miles Davis, um, Duke Jordan, Tommy Potter, and uh, Max Russell? Roach. Oh, uh, Tommy Potter and Max Roach. I think Tommy Potter. That's and this can famous, be found uh, on... Well, it's, this is another CD that's been repackaged a hundred times, but... Uh, but the best route for people is this great rhino package that uh, came out, a double CD oh, really? called mm -hmm. the... Um, is that got the uh, 1947, uh, I think it was, was it, were they dial recordings originally, or...? Yeah, I think I so. I think so, yeah. All right, let's have a listen. Here's All Charlie right. Parker. Thank you. 
Sonny Rollins on sax, and that was Where Are You from his album The Bridge. Yeah, that's a, that's a great cut. I remember uh, when that came out when I was in high school, and uh, Sonny Rollins had uh, retired for a couple of years to work on his, you know, thang, you know. <laughs> and uh, that was the first record he, he came out after sort of uh, refreshing himself uh, from a creative standpoint, and that's, uh, you know, it's just uh, no one else can, can play ballads like that, you know, really. What do you listen for when you're... Most of the, the the material that you've picked today, or actually all of it, it comes from a, a certain era, from a certain period, with, within 10, mm-hmm. 12 years. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why that time? Well, except for maybe the Duke Ellington, which is from the... Uh, uh, 1940. 1940 or so, but uh, the rest are, you know, sort of late 50s, early 60s, that's when we were listening to jazz, uh, when... Uh, you know, it was a great period for jazz, and um, so naturally, that's that's sort of was contemporary with our, you know, when we were kids. And all of these players had uh, had a sound, had a voice. Within a few bars, you know right away who it is mm. that's playing. Well, you know, the the great uh, jazz uh, uh, soloists uh, from that period certainly um, were part of the reason that they. Uh, became uh, well-known was that they were really uh, individuals who had created a unique uh, approach, uh, had a great sound, and it had, a, had a style of, of improvisation, you know, that they had created their own little uh, licks and connective tissue and ways of getting from one chord to another, strategies for playing uh, different kinds of, over different kinds of rhythms and so on. And uh, I wasn't part of this scene, so I don't know this, but from what I've been able to gather, this was essentially a period where people developed those things by themselves and using their own, uh, you know, uh, stuff that they had come up with themselves rather than being taught in a school, you know, here are the seven ways that you can negotiate through this particular kind of chord sequence, you know, and uh, and it, that period produced real powerful individual artistic presences in these uh, soloists. That's one of the things that's so likable about it, you know, is that... Uh, Sonny Rollins, so much, you know, he's clearly a, a post-Charlie Parker uh, bebop, you know, player, but um, so much of what he's playing is, is stuff that he's really created himself, you know. Uh, a lot of times um, nowadays, uh, or, you know, in, in the subsequent years, you hear a great player, a great musician, uh, and you know that he's very talented and he's got a lot of skill and, you know, uh, feeling and chops and so on, and yet a lot of what that guy will be playing is something that you've heard elsewhere before. And uh, in, in this particular period, which was a very uh, fertile period for jazz in the 50s and early 60s, people were really doing stuff that they had invented themselves and were uh, developing ideas that they had developed, or that they had come up with earlier in their career and they were elaborating on them and articulating them. And as in the case of Sonny Rollins, they uh, Evolved over a course of a career and became more sophisticated. You know, they had new ideas that they brought in and new sorts of uh, musical influences that they incorporated and so on. Guys, thanks. Okay, All right. thanks a lot. This has been fun. Yeah.
Steely Dan in their tribute to Charlie Parker. That was Parker's band. Walter Becker and Donald Fagan's Desert Island picks included Jack the Bear by Duke Ellington, Oliver Nelson's Blues Almighty, Sao Paulo by Kenny Dorham, Dizzy Gillespie's I Waited for You, Clacvito Stain by Charlie Parker, and Where Are You by Sonny Rollins. I'm Ross Porter. I hope you enjoyed the show.